right. Good morning, everyone. Let's take our Bibles, please, and stand for the book. Uh, uh, take our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. Let's stand. As you can see, our pastor is very, uh, 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 it's away, but he loves our church and wants to be here as much as he can, and we're thankful that he gets to be away. Uh, you'll be back here if this is your first time uh, next week, uh, and we encourage you to sit uh, in our services and hear our pastor preach. He's uh, very good at expositing the word of God and being able to preach. And so if you haven't heard our pastor preach before, I encourage you to come back. Thank you for being here. Now look around, please. If somebody else uh, doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have the King James Version of the Bible, share your Bible with them if you could. Exodus chapter number 32. We'll read verses 1 to 8 if you could. And I'm always thankful for the opportunity to preach God's word here. And uh, I'm so thankful for uh, our pastor and then also for those who took the time to encourage me uh, before I came up to preach. In fact, one person came up to me and says, hey, you're preaching today. I was like, yeah. He says, you know, I always tell those uh, who are guest speakers uh, that, that are preaching for pastor uh, uh, to remember the words of Moses. And I was like, what was that? And he said, let my people go. And then, <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll remember that for sure. And so I don't intend to keep you guys long, but I do pray that you'll hear from God this morning. Exodus chapter number 32, verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. God's holy word says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot or we know not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, and of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in the ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received, uh, received them at their hand, and fashioned it with uh, a graving tool. After he had made it a molten calf, they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made, a proc uh, made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, or Yahweh. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which have brought, uh, brought us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the ways which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Would you take a moment and read verse number 8 out loud with me? We'll read it out loud all together and then we'll have a word of prayer and dive into our message this morning. Verse number 8, all together out loud, ready, begin. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Today's message is simply entitled, When We Worship God the Wrong Way. When We Worship God the Wrong Way. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. Please be with our pastor, Mrs. Fong. I ask that you keep them safe and I ask that you protect them as they're away. Thank you, Lord, for those who are here. And I ask that you speak to all of our hearts and specifically on this matter of worship. God, you're a holy God. You're great, 
powerful, mighty. Lord, there's no one like you. You're lifted above all. And you're worthy of every worship that we can ever give. But I ask this morning that you'd allow the working of the Holy Spirit to take place to search our hearts and to see if there are times in our lives where we worship you the wrong way, where we view you the wrong way. Lord, we pray this morning that your word and your Holy Spirit would conform us to the image of Christ. If there's anybody here this morning, Lord, that's not saved, that means that they've never placed their trust in Jesus Christ alone to be their Savior. Would you, Lord, work in their heart in such a way that they would be gripped by your word, that you'd open the blindness from their eyes and take it away, that they would see that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus. And for every person here who is saved, help us to worship you biblically and scripturally in spirit and in truth. We love you, Lord. Help me as I preach and teach your word. Guide me in all that I say and do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Exodus 32 is one of the lowest points in Israel's spiritual history. It was a moment when read or spoken about, the audience could not help but cringe or shake their heads. This was a dark spot. This was a mistake. This was a blot and a taint to their name and the reputation of the Israelites as the people of God was at stake. God's wrath was kindled and at the end of this chapter we find that 3,000 men had lost their lives. This should never have happened. But, but it, it did and now it's a, remem a remembrance and a regret. This is something that a nation would never be proud of. Instead of uh, something that they would uh, bring uh, uh, in great shame and embarrassment to their name. It was not because they were being attacked or taken captive. There, was no enemy. there were no enemies present in this chapter. There were no attackers in pursuit. But the thing that we're going to be talking about uh, in chapter number 32, this horrible experience was rather brought upon themselves by their own hands. You're probably asking and wondering what they did that was so wrong and horrible. What was the cause of this problem that at the end God was upset and God's wrath was kindled and 30 or 3,000 men had lost their lives. What was the problem? What was the sin? What was the situation that we found Israel in? The problem was they worshiped God the wrong way. Can I remind us this morning that worship is important to God? In fact, the context of our passage actually starts in a chapter way back in Exodus uh, chapter number 3. The reason, uh, the reason why God had called Moses and sent him to Egypt was to deliver Israel out into the wilderness for a three days journey so that they could go and worship God. In Exodus 3 verse 18 it says, And they shall hearken to thy voice and thou shalt come, and uh, thou and thy elders unto the king of Egypt. And they shall say unto him, The Lord uh, God of Israel, or the Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice uh, to the Lord our God. And then if you notice as they were journeying uh, into Israel that, uh, or sorry, as, as, as God was taking them out of uh, Egypt, uh, the Israelites uh, performed a Passover uh, event where the death angel of God came to the nation of Israel and, the, and Egypt and God's death angel had passed upon all the houses there in the land. And the Bible teaches us that for any house that did not have the blood uh, painted upon their doorpost, that the angel would come to that place and the firstborn would die. And God later in chapter number 13 had instituted the Passover, there were the passing of the death angel to be a memorial, to be a ceremony in which the Israelites would keep as an ordinance forever, year after year. That was a matter of worship. 
In Exodus chapter number 20, verses 3 to 6, God declares another form of worship. And he says, thou shalt not have, or thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. If you were to take the summary of the book of Exodus and uh, even this chapter in verse or chapter number 32 in which we had read the passage, if you were to take the summary of what God was trying to teach Israel, it was this, worship, worship. God deserves to be worshipped, amen. But in our worship or in our attempt to worship God, we must worship him the right way. Worship is the ascribing of worth. It is the expression of praise which identifies someone's value or something's value. Worship does not begin with the service or the sacrifice of your hands. It begins with the submission of your heart. I like what Warren Wearsby said. He says, worship is the believer's response to of all that they are, uh, their mind, their emotion, and their will, and their body to what God is and says and does. A.W. Tozer said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. And so I want to take this thought of worship for a second because we live in a society where worship has been skewed. The understanding, the perception of worship is not according to that which the Bible teaches uh, people from different churches and denominations. People, uh, even in Baptist circles or Christian circles, think of, of worship to be some sort of other than that which is not what the Word of God says. Worship will affect your marriage. Worship will affect how you raise your children. Worship will affect how you serve in the church and how you give and how you live your life for the Lord. Worship is the utmost important uh, essence of the Christian life. And if you are not biblically sound or biblically in tune with what God says worship is, then you cannot worship God the right way. You're worshiping him in the wrong way. Worship is important to God. And so with that thought, I want to take three lessons for us to learn. Three lessons from Israel's failure to worship God. Follow along in your notes if you could, please. First and foremost, notice with me, Israel and their idleness. If you go back to verse number 1 of chapter 32, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves yet uh, uh, together uh, unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man uh, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not or we know not what has become of him. Israel is found in an idle situation. They were idle in their position. I think about what one person says. He says, idleness is the devil's playground. If you doubt that, just ask David who uh, was to go to war and battle with the kings. We find in 2 Samuel that David uh, was in, 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 the, in the peak of his in, uh, kingdom. He was in the prime of his kingship. And you notice how David was conquering nation after nation. He was conquering land after land. And yet we find a passage where David, instead of going into battle, instead of going and fi fighting and warring after uh, 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 other kings and conquering other lands, we find that David was idle. And in his idleness, he went to his rooftop, and in that rooftop, he saw something he should have, have never have seen. He saw a woman bathing herself uh, naked, and uh, his lust began to be enticed in his heart. And next thing you know, you find David uh, wanting something that God had uh, uh, prohibited and uh, uh, kept away from him. And we know the story that David ended up uh, committing adultery, and as a result, he committed murder. And then as a result, uh, the baby uh, that, that, that was born in that situation had died idleness 
is the devil's playground. You think about Peter who was called by Jesus to pray with him in the garden of Gethsemane and three times the Lord went back and forth to pray an hour each and he found their disciples there including Peter fast asleep and he says watch and pray but instead they fell asleep. He was idle and Peter as a result of his idleness when, when, when he was pressured, when he was asked, when he was uh, interrogated and interviewed, do you know who Jesus is? He said I know not the man. All because he was idle. Idleness will ruin a church. Now is not the time to be idle, church. Now is the time to awake out of sleep for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now is the time to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now is the opportunity to live for God. Now is not the time to, uh, to lay ourselves down and to sleep spiritually. Now is the time to get our armors up with the Lord uh, to, to serve Him and to fight in the kingdom of God. We find that the, now is the time for us to, uh, to awaken spiritually and to see more souls saved. Now is the time to get the gospel out. Now is the time to start more churches. Now is not the time to be idle. You see, Aaron and the elders we find here were idle. And if you know who the elders were, they were the ones in Exodus 18.24 that, uh, uh, that Moses had called out to help him judge the people. That if there were some uh, matters that uh, uh, Moses could not handle on his own or uh, there were matters that there was just too much to handle at one time, that Moses would delegate those matters to these elders and they would have the responsibility uh, of taking God's word and addressing it to that specific situation. Aaron, no doubt, was, it, was in the repute of a spiritual man. Aaron, no doubt, was known to be somebody who had the mind of God and he was to be a spiritual leader. There in Israel, Moses was gone and Aaron and these elders were to take his place and take upon themselves the responsibility of leading the people. But they were idle. For 40 days, Moses had been up in the mountain fellowshipping with God, speaking to God face to face. But while Moses and Joshua was at the top of the mountain, Aaron and these elders uh, couldn't wait any longer. It was in this mountain that they began to be restless and they began to, uh, they began to imagine things that were grossly uh, wrong before God. And they began to wait day after day. Day one goes by and nothing, Moses doesn't return. Day two goes by and still no sign of Moses. Day three until day 30 and still nothing, no sign of Moses. Now, day 39, they said, you know what, we're getting fed up. And for 40 days, they waited and they said no more. By the way, where will you be in 40 days? How will your family look like in 40 days? And they said at the end of 40 days, this is too much waiting for us. And they said, Aaron, make us gods. You know, the problem with idleness is that it never stays simply in that situation. The problem with little sin is that it never stays little. One sin will lead to another and then that sin will lead unto another. You become idle one day and next thing you know, you're completely away from God the next. I think about what Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said. He said, sin will always take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay. In their idleness, I see two results and two problematic situations that they fell into. First, they became delusional. You ever spoken to somebody who just started talking, but whatever they're saying makes absolutely no sense? How could these Israelites, how could these elders 
say such a thing to make us gods when in just a few chapters before they had crossed the Red Sea, they had crossed uh, the, the, the water on, on dry land and they have seen with their own eyes the plagues that God had brought upon Egypt and they had seen God devour the Egyptian armies with that water. Uh, you, how, how, how could it be that these men and these uh, people would say such a thing? Delusional. Their thoughts reverted back to the ways of Egypt. Their thoughts thought that it was better to move forward without God. Their solution for their situation left God out of the equation. And how often do we live life? How often do we try to answer life's problems? How often do we go day to day being delusional, thinking we could do better without God? Thinking that our family would be better if we had less church and less God and less Bible and less prayer. Thinking that we would be better in church if God was outside. They became delusional. They became defiant. They said, forget Moses. We're not interested in knowing where he was or where he had went or how his well-being had become. They said, you know what, let's just leave him. You know, if you're, not idle, if you're idle and you're not walking with God, one of the most sure instances for you to start doing is to criticize leadership. To defy leadership and to say, you know what, I don't need any more leadership and authority in my life. I'll be better off on my own. Idleness. We see Israel in their idleness, but then we find, secondly, Israel in their idolatry. This will be the bulk of our message this morning. One of the things that you read about all throughout the scriptures is Israel's struggle with idolatry, with idolatry, with idols. From Genesis to Revelation, you will always find that idolatry has been and always will be a sin. I think about what God says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, where he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory will I, give, will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. It makes absolutely no sense why anyone would worship a graven image. I would go back to the time where I was in the Philippines, and time and time again, I would see uh, our family go into a Catholic church, and we would uh, bow down to these statues that were placed in these churches, and uh, we would pray to them and ask them to help us. I remember even uh, when we moved to Canada, there was a statue as tall as me that we had brought to our living room, and for hours we prayed to them. For hours we asked them to help us with our lives and our problems and we uh, chanted prayers to them and so forth when in reality they are no gods at all. In Psalm 115 verses 4, God gives for us a description of how foolish it is to worship idols. Is that their idols are silver and gold, the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. What other religions may call worship, God calls sin. But before we get comfortable with ourselves, we must also ask, what idols do we have? You know, an idol doesn't necessarily have to be an image or a statue. It doesn't have to be a picture that you put on a shelf or hang on the wall. An idol is anything that you use to replace God. Is there anything that you're trusting more than you're trusting God in? 
Is there anything more that you find satisfaction in that you do more than God? Is there anything that you love or crave after more than that it is of God? An idol is anything that you use to replace God. What idols do you have this morning? What idols lie in your home? What idols are found in your pockets? What idols are found in your phones? We can't do justice if we criticize Israel for their idolatry, their idolatry worship and the problems that they had with these idols when we don't first look at ourselves and consider what idols we have. Some of us have idols and we don't even realize it. Some of us have more idols than we care to admit. Some of us, you know you have idols, but you're trying to hide it. What idols are you worshiping this morning? The idol that we find here, notice the statue created. It was a calf, a bull. This was a worldly statue. This bull, it came from Egypt, and the Egyptians worshipped a, a bull and a calf-looking uh, god named Apis, also known as Happy or Hep, and it was one of their first gods, and they worshipped this god uh, uh, to, 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 to pray for fertility and prosperity in their land. Israel made an idol that resembled an Egyptian god. E Egypt was always a picture of the world. And you find that Israel may have left Egypt at that time, but Egypt never left their heart. They were still thinking about it. And the problem is this, oftentimes when we get saved, we are to be uh, conformed into the image of Christ and not be transformed into this world. And so oftentimes the struggle that a Christian may have is the struggle of getting the world out of them. Can I remind us that anything of this world will never last? 1 John chapter 2, Jesus in his word says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. This was a worldly statue. It was a wicked statue. Notice how the Bible says in verse number 6 that the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. The Bible also teaches us in verse number 18, and he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, uh, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And the Bible says, And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh to the camp that he saw the calf, and, uh, and, and he cast the tables out of his or in dancing, or and the calf in the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. In verse number 25, it says, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. This was a wicked statue because it led them to nakedness. It led them to noisiness. It often, uh, we, we often find that idolatry leads to immorality. We see here the statue they created, but I want to talk about, secondly, the sinful concept. You know, um, my son Kai is uh, hes getting a little crazy now. <laughs> sort of have to just keep an eye on him before he starts to climb things and starts to break things. And um, one of the things that I begin to see is that he's more engaged with toys. And usually he'll play with things that uh, aren't toys. They're not supposed to play with that at that age. And... Um, I brought over here one of the things that he's going to be playing with probably in a few years, but not anytime soon. It's a uh, Play-Doh. Um, if you know you're a parent, there's always a few toys that you would hate your kids to play with. Lego is one of them. 
right? Not really for the kids, but for the parents, right? <laughs> you go out in the night, you get a glass of water in the kitchen, and you step on one of their Legos, and it hurts. And some of you guys are like, yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, some of you guys probably had a toy that, um, uh, that makes a noise and, you know, uh, pianos, things that light up at night. I remember one time, uh, it was like in the middle of the night, probably like at 2 in the morning, and all of a sudden, my wife and I were sleeping, and we heard a noise in the living room. It's like this creepy-sounding toy that was singing. And she's like, go check what that is. I was like, no, you check what that is, right? <laughs> I'm not going to go out there. Play-Doh is one of those things that you are glad the kids could play with, but you're hoping that it doesn't, their phase for Play-Doh doesn't usually stay long. I mean, they could get dirty, you know, get on your carpet or in their clothes, and once you mix the colors together, they just, it's hard, impossible to separate them, right? You know, what we find here is that um, the Israelites wanted a God that they could fashion with their own hands. Now, I like Plato, and they say that Plato, you could create anything, your imagination could there's no limit to it. Plato, very flexible, right? You could make anything with it, not necessarily making anything. But let's say one of the things that we were to make was, um, I don't know, a hot dog. You guys like hot dogs? Thinking about lunch? You make a hot dog and you make it and you make a, a bun and you pretend that you get to eat and begin to pretend that you're having lunch. You know, it'd be ridiculous for us to set aside some time this lunch and to say, you know, I'm going to eat some of that because it's not real. To a kid, their imagination of what they could make with their hands is entertaining, fascinating, endless. When I was reading this chapter, I was convicted in my own heart. So how often at times I think about who God is and my perception and view of who he is. And God began to, began to reveal things in my own life where he said, Erwin, you're treating me like Plato. You're worshiping me like you can fold me and mold me into something that you want instead of something that I already am. You know, how you view God is how you're going to live your life. How you view God is how you will love your spouse. How you view God is how you'll attend this church. If you view God in a small way, then you'll think that church is small. Not in size, but in importance. How you view God is how you're going to view your sin. Young people, how you view God is how you'll treat your parents. How you view God is how you'll use your words, how you'll use your time, how you use your money. How you view God matters. And the problem with our worship this morning is we want a God that would compromise. If you notice back in chapter number 32, after Aaron had fashioned 
and molded this graven image, he then sets out a feast in the name of Yahweh, the Lord. And so what Aaron was doing in order to appease the Israelites and the elders and all those who had different positions, he said, you know what, I'll give you your graven image, I'll give you your molten uh, idol, I'll give you your golden calf, but let's go ahead and still call this a feast to Jehovah, to Yahweh. And oftentimes we say, God, I'll worship you, but let me stay in the world. God, I'll worship you, but let me have my desires that are worldly. Let me have this friendship. Let me have this career. Let me have this job. Let me have this desire. Let me have what I want. God, I'll worship you, but let me worship you with the world in my hand. And we treat God like Plato. Someone that we could compromise. Someone that would give in to our desires. Somebody that will look, at a, uh, look away and turn, the, uh, turn their eye and, and, and say, you know what? Yeah, God, uh, God will tolerate what you want. The Israelites wanted a God that would compromise. They wanted a God that was convenient. You know, prior to this chapter, you find that God was meeting with Moses and Joshua and Aaron and the elders in Mount Sinai. But the people were not allowed up there. In fact, the people were scared because they saw the terror of the Lord and they feared that God would kill them at that instance because they noticed that they were in the presence of a holy God. And now it's been 40 days and no word from Moses, no word from God, and they're wondering, uh, can we even talk to God? Can we access God? Is there a way for us to see if God is ready to go forward into the promised land? For 40 days they waited. For 40 days they didn't know what to do. And they said, you know what, we can't stay in Sinai longer. We need to go to the promised land. We need to go. Some said, you know, we can't go without God. God's in the mountain. We can't, we can't just bust open the doors and go there. And so they wanted a God that was easily accessible. Some scholars and Bible expositors said that they created more than one golden calf, very likely. But they, they wanted a God that was easily accessible to them. A God that didn't require repentance to be approached. A God that they could just pull out of their pocket and at any time use like a lucky charm. That's not God. God is who he is, not based on your convenience. You say, God, I'll only worship you if it's easy for me. God, I'll only worship you if it doesn't take uh, more of my time. God, I'll worship you if it doesn't cost me anything. God, I'll worship you if it doesn't, if it doesn't require me to be in the position of confession. They wanted a God that was convenient. They wanted a God that was willing to compromise. They wanted a God that they could control. You see, if at any time, if they were to carry this golden calf 
and to use it in their battles or to use it in their journeys to prosper. If at any time this golden calf did not live up to their expectation of what a God should be doing for their people, they could have easily just melted it down, break it apart, and build something new. Now I wonder how often do we treat God like we treat Plato? How often do we treat God like we can change who he is based on our preferences and based on what we desire and what we want? We want a God that's willing to compromise. We want a God that's willing to, uh, to, to be more convenient. We want a God that, that we could control with our desires and uh, that we could control with our likings. I want to encourage and challenge us this morning to look into your heart and see what views you have of God that are not according to the Bible. There's only one way to worship God, and it's through spirit and in truth. Let me say that if you are not saved this morning, you cannot worship God. Because the Bible teaches us that you are spiritually dead. The Bible teaches us that you are still blinded in your sin and that you have not been made alive. The Bible teaches us that in your sin, you are separated from God. But praise the Lord that the moment you realize that you're a sinner and realize that Jesus is God and he's the only way to save you, the only one that can save you, he's the only way to get to heaven. That moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you have been quickened or made alive. Your spirit has been renewed and regenerated and then you can worship God. If you're not saved, you can't even worship God. Can I say this? If you are not filled with the Spirit, you cannot worship God. How often do we go to church and we get into our cars, but our mind is somewhere else? We treat church like any other service. We treat it like class. We treat it like work where we punch in and punch out. Where we think that once we go in, we can sit in the pews, play our part, do our role, serve in our ministries. But next thing you know, there's no heart change going on. We're not listening to God. There's no fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And you, you think... That you're worshiping God, but you're worshiping God in the flesh, and God says that's not worship. If you're serving God, if you're here today, this morning walking in the flesh and not in the spirit, then you're not worshiping him. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, the Bible teaches us that that grieves the Holy Spirit. And when you try to worship God with unconfessed sin, the Bible says uh, your prayers will not be regarded. Your sin has hindered you from worshiping God. Your sin has stopped you from being able to fellowship with God Almighty. And when you think that you could serve or worship God without the Spirit, then you're not worshiping. The Bible teaches us that we have to worship Him in truth. Truth is in reference to the Word of God. Truth is in reference to what the Bible teaches us, who God is. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrows, the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the Bible teaches us that if we want to know who God is, we have to look through his word. And sometimes we say, God, I'll only worship you if you do this for me. That's not the God of the Bible. You say, God, I can't believe you let this into my life. I can't believe you allowed this uh, situation to happen in my life. You must not be, and you fill in the blank. Don't you hate it when people think wrongly of you? My brother and I get mixed up all the time. Erwin, my brother's name is Edwin. 
In fact, it's so bad that um, when my brother got married, the pastor that was officiating the, the, the wedding said, do you, Irwin, pick so-and-so to be your, and I was like, man, I'm already married. <laughs> I'm not going to get married again, right? Like, I already have one wife. People get us mixed up. We hate it when people think wrongfully of us. We hate it when people think they know us, but they don't. Why do we think God is any different? Why do we think that going to church with a facade, with a, with a form of hypocrisy, is acceptable to him? It's worshiping God the wrong way. We see Israel in their idleness. We see Israel in their idolatry. And then lastly, we see Israel and their intercessors. If I was to stop in this chapter, it would leave us in a place of great sorrow and difficulty. But if you go back to chapter number 32 in Exodus, we find that God provides reconciliation in the midst of this mess we find a man who was willing to take a stand we find Moses confronting the sin of Israel and instructing the Israelites on how to make things right in chapter 32 verse 21 look at your Bibles please the Bible says and Moses said unto Aaron what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them and Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, make us gods, which shall go before us. For us, for this Moses, the man who uh, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And I said unto them, whosoever has any gold, let them break uh, it off. And so they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire. And all of a sudden, there came out this calf. And Moses saw the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked, and unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood uh, in the gate of the camp and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me and let all the sons of Levi gather themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the words of Moses and there fell upon or fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves to the, uh, today to the Lord. Even every man upon his son and upon his brother that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And notice verse 31 where he says, and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, Moses is praying to God, he says, yet now. If thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Moses became an intercessor, a mediator between Israel and God. There are two primary, thing, uh, primary lessons that we find in this ministry of intercession. We find that there was a necessary purging. 
In verse 20, he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel to drink. We find that there was a purging of the relic. There was a purging, there was a removal of their idols. You know, if you want to mean business with the Lord, then you got to get rid of your idols. If you really want to worship God, if you really want to know what it's like to fellowship with Jesus, then you have to get rid of your idols. I think about what Jacob had told his household in Genesis 35 too, where he says, Jacob said to his household and all to the, of that were within, he said, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Paul told the church at Corinth, he says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. If you want to do business with the Lord, if you want to know what it's like to truly be right with God, then you have to first and foremost get rid of your idols. There was a purging of the relic and then there was a purging of rebellion. They had to kill and slay the 3,000 men who were in charge of initiating this idolatry. Now the purging was essential for reconciliation. There is no repentance, or sorry, there is no revival without repentance. There is no reconciliation without repentance and this purging was the act of repentance. Purging was a picture of forsaking their sin. Purging was a picture of dying to self. And if you truly want to worship God, then you have to purge your idols. You have to die to self. And then we find, secondly, that there was a noble prayer. I don't know if you caught this, but in verse number 32... We find an interesting verse that includes something that we don't see in other verses in the Bible. It says in verse 32, yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, notice the next part where it's, there's a dash. Somebody once said that this is the only incomplete sentence in the Bible. In order to understand that dash, we have to sort of put our feet in Moses' shoes and understand what he was doing. Moses had gone up back to the, mount, uh, the t- mountaintop and he began, went back to God to worship and he fell before God and he began to pray and pour out his heart and he began to weep for the people of Israel. And in his prayer in verse 31 it says, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and he pauses, We don't know really what took place, but you can sort of imagine that this is where Moses broke down in tears. He says, God, forgive their sin. And too embarrassed of their sin, he couldn't say anything. He knew that the Israelites didn't deserve to be forgiven. He knew that Israelites deserved to be punished. He, he, he knew that God was offended. He knew uh, that God was, was in his wrath and his anger. Who was he to ask for forgiveness? Who was he to ask for pardon? He says, now if thou wilt forgive their sin. He says, and if not, he says, God, if you're not going to forgive them, then blot me. He says, God, take me away, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Does this prayer sound familiar? Do you remember in Acts 7, verses 59 to 60, where Stephen prayed this prayer? He says, they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Hey, Paul prayed this prayer in Romans 9, verse 1. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed, that, uh, that meaning that he would be willing to lose his salvation from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Intercessory prayer. Hey, Jesus prayed this prayer. Where in Luke 23, Jesus on the cross, we find that when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. That's Jesus and the malefactors, one on the right hand, on the other on the left. Then said Jesus to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a noble prayer for anyone to intercede on somebody else's behalf. Thank God for the intercessors of our lives, amen. Thank God for the spouse who intercedes for their husband or their wife. Thank God for the pastor who intercedes for their church. Thank God for the parents who intercede for their children. Thank God for the members who intercede for their pastors. Thank God for the soul winner who intercedes for the lost. Thank God for Jesus who intercedes for us. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. I made mention this morning about Jesus who is the only way to get to heaven. The greatest intercessory work that Jesus did for mankind was to take our place on the cross. The greatest work that Jesus did for you and I was to be our substitute, to be that perfect sacrifice that would, uh, that would require uh, to be killed and separated from God the Father that would be required to take upon the sins of the whole world so that he could be punished and not us. Jesus interceded for you this morning. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you to trust him today. No good works can ever forgive of your sins. No baptism, no church membership, no amount of money can ever rid you of your sin debt. All that you can do is to trust Jesus Christ upon, is to be your Savior. And if you're saved this morning, how tragic would it be to worship God the wrong way? To treat God like Plato. To treat him like a God that you could fashion with your own hands. To, to treat him like a God that would uh, subject, that would be subject to your preferences, that would be submitted to your request. God is not like that. God is holy and pure, perfect in all his ways. God is tried and true, faithful in all matters. What God says is right. What God says is true. Who God is is perfect. God is right in all that he is and does. And for us to try and worship him with the wrong views, to worship him the wrong way. How's your worship this morning? Do you know him? Have you worshiped him like he should be worshiped? If you're here and you need to get saved, I ask you not to wait any longer but to call upon Jesus to be your Savior. Let's pray, shall we?